0: This show is about your mental health. While it's supported by the pillars of positivity and hope, if you find yourself in crisis, please reach out for help. In many communities in both the United States and Canada, you can dial 211 to be connected to mental health and crisis services in your region. While it may seem like it at times, you are not alone. I'm a huge Brooklyn 99 fan, and if you are as well, you'll recognize this clip. Not a doctor.
1: Fremulon.
0: That's the calling card of Fremulon, the production company responsible for the show. I actually wish I had come up with that tagline before them and put it on the end of all my podcasts. I'm not a doctor or even a therapist. I'm a guy who lives with depression and just happens to have a platform to get the word out that mental health is something that it's okay to talk about. Well, for years, I've been a fan of my guest, who also is not a doctor, but also has helped so many people living with depression using his platform. My guest, Michael Landsberg, sick, not weak, right now on The Happy Molecule. We know him, we love him.
1: Well, we know him. Um <laughs> Sorry, Michael. No, and- don't say so. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before right. I say anything else, do not apologize. That is so accurate. <laughs> I, I think at one time in Canada, if I if you were voting for uh, national broadcasters who did sports, who do you hate the most? I would have won for sure. <laughs> well, I would have won for sure.
0: Well, they they finally got rid of you a couple of months ago
1: uh well there's a dispute whether or not they got rid of me or i got rid of them so, um, <laughs> no, you know you... it's like any good divorce right though like for real like there's two sides to the story and i think we're both happy with the side i i i wanted to leave and yeah. um they didn't want to get in my way
0: well uh, you know what and and i would not want you to leave i, I know i know that's a, a big loss uh for uh, uh tsn and and for canadian sports broadcasting but you're not gone uh our game though is going to be into into mental care. michael landsberg joins me right now um sports journalist uh one of the best known sports journalists in in the country um he told me to say that um no no that is something i say uh freely willingly um you said
1: best known which which is uh an ambiguous word right yeah yeah. yeah what do, what do you, you want me to call say you? what do you want me to call it well, you? you could say like paul bernardo is one of the most uh most well-known murderers and that... you know and you'd be accurate right you know like he is well known so <laughs> um i think that i, I think that uh I, I i you can see from the way i'm i'm sort of challenging the way you describe me is like i understand the ambiguity of me and my career like like uh someone who was uh, less experienced than you was introducing me. And they were, I guess, you know, somewhat uh grateful that i was doing their show because no one had heard ever heard of their show and um they went oh michael landsberg is you know he's the greatest he's the greatest sportscaster this country's ever seen everybody loves him and i went dude dude that is not even a compliment (laughs) Uh, that's you know that could not be further from the truth so you could just say hey michael landsberg joins us remember from tsn and uh the last decade you probably know him even better from um being a guy who speaks about mental health thanks for joining us today michael oh kevin what a pleasure there we go
0: michael all right, I, I'm hosting the show right now. You can't take over.
1: Well, you think I can't, but apparently
0: <laughs> I can. You do uh, an incredible job of that, and I think what we're going to be doing in this podcast, uh, in this particular episode, is comparing notes because I think we have found ourselves on the uh, the same side of this battle. Uh, where we live with uh, depression. And I like to say I live with depression rather than suffer from depression. Uh, We live with depression, but we also like to share our stories not to try and appear brave or look at me, but to tell people, hey, it's okay to share
1: your story. You know, I have nothing, I, like literally nothing to add to that. That describes exactly how I see it, exactly. Like I'm not telling people, like, like I actually say when I give a speech in front of crowds in the old days when you used to speak in front of crowds, uh, that I would say, how many of you think I'm brave? And everybody puts up their hands and I say, look, well, first of all, you gotta know that I'm going somewhere with this because you look like a jerk. Can you imagine how many people think I'm brave? Oh, all of you, you're right. You're right. I'm so brave. It's like, so everybody puts up their hands, some obligated, but others see it as brave. Right. And I, I look at it as, as first of all, the easiest thing in the world for me, like, like it never, it was never a challenge in any way. My, my sort of coming out was, uh, October of 2009 when Stefan Riche was a guest on off, the record. Uh, And I had read that he had battled depression. And I had battled depression. That's the word I tried to use, not suffered from, but battled. Because suffered from just sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like you're waving the white flag. I'm battling it, right? You're battling it. Uh, and I had never spoken about it on off the record before that because I thought no one would care. Honestly, Kevin, I thought it was like, what, why would I talk about it? You know, people already—they're going to go for sure on iceberg just wants our sympathy. You know, he wants us to like him, so he's given us this BS. So it was the easiest thing in the world. By chance, I interviewed Stefan Richet, this hockey player who uh, who had battled depression, and I thought, Man, make an interesting question. And I asked him, you know, how you doing? And uh, I mean, this story has so many amazing twists and turns, and. I, I mean this is like a tease for more details but uh, you'll have to bring me back to give the exciting conclusion of this story uh, people people uh 22 people emailed me afterwards, and 20 of them were men. And they all said that it was just really powerful to see two men speaking about depression, without shame and embarrassment. One guy emailed me two years later, we all corresponded like I got back to all these people like a normal person would. And two and a half years later, this guy uh, messaged me and said, I never told you, but I was in the process of ending my life when you responded to my email. And that story went back and forth and then there's a mike babcock story in the middle where i was hosting an event in saskatoon and tyson williams of north battleford saskatchewan came uh i invited him to be my guest at this thing right and there's i mean it it turns funny like from from the moment that he didn't end his life and he did find his way back and here's the conclusion of the story he asked me to be the best man at his wedding and i had never met him before how, like, oh, actually, I met him that one time at Babcock's event. It's, it's like kind of like the story of my life when it comes to mental health.
0: Did you, be, were you the best man at
1: his wedding? I traveled to uh, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Uh, I don't know if you know Saskatchewan at all. Like, no, I've seen it on a PA, map. Yeah. PA. Yeah. It's somewhere, you know, see those Western provinces, they get confusing. Like Manitoba, Saskatchewan, or Saskatchewan. Oh, you know, it's like, okay. I'll you know, Like, so he, uh, PA, as, as we who are in the know we call it, is uh, I guess it's about an hour and a half, two hours north of Saskatoon. Like everything is measured from everything Saskatoon is measured from Saskatoon.
0: That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: And then so uh, he decided that he was going to have his wedding, not in uh, Prince Albert, but in Spruce Home, uh, Saskatchewan, which is now like another hour and a half north. So it was so that's, that's two and a
0: half hours to three yeah. hours north of Saskatoon,
1: north of Saskatoon, right? Which yeah. is like you know that's way down. south. anyway, it was uh, an amazing culture experience. He is uh, he's a friend of mine. Uh, he's gone out and started talking about mental health, and it's uh, it really represents probably the most significant story of my non-family life. Wait, what was your first encounter with a mental health issue? My first encounter was—I um, kind of have two separate encounters that I'm sure are are intertwined. But when I was uh, when I was as young as I can remember, I suffered from anxieties. I had some fears. I mean, there were times when I just didn't feel right, and I didn't know why. I had this, no idea. This is that. this is, and I'm sorry to interrupt because yeah, what go. you I'll said. Interrupt you.
0: Okay, <laughs> what, what you said was so important. I have found out, and that is, I just didn't feel right. We have never been taught at any time to know our feelings. I can tell you when I feel like I'm getting a cold. I can tell you when I've broken my arm. But when it comes to mental health issues, so many times you go in and it's just, I just don't feel right. And that is quite often your alarm bell, because uh, as we know, uh, anxiety issues can mimic heart problems and, and and the like as well. But when you just say I don't feel right. So and I'm sorry to interrupt you. But I think that's such an important thing for people to remember is it, when, when they're trying
1: to relate their own stories. I, I found that, uh, you know, I've learned a lot about that. First of all, you know, there were circumstances that were different than my circumstances in an adult. So so the, uh, the 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 minimal facts to understand that answer to that question is, uh, since my earliest memories, I can remember suffering from a general anxiety disorder, but no one no one called it a general anxiety disorder. No one no one ever ever and and I came from an amazingly loving home, like my parents adored me. My mom knew nothing about sports, but she watched every episode <laughs> of off the record, like, like everyone. And she still couldn't tell you what a first down was, which was, <laughs> I found to be shocking, but she was a highly intelligent woman. She ran my dad's office, but my parents adored me from the time I was born. and would have done anything from me for me. Um, but I had just no idea what was wrong with me. I just, I, I, and it, it, I, I never put it together that, Oh, I have anxiety. Now, I did know I had anxiety over uh, I had something called emetophobia, which is fear of throwing up, uh, which is not as uncommon as it sounds yeah. if you haven't heard of anyone with it. But it's not just like oh, I'm afraid to get sick. It's I'm afraid to be around other people who get sick. I'm afraid to see someone get sick, uh, and that I knew I had, and that interrupted many aspects of my life. Right? Like I would I wouldn't go to camp because they rode on a bus, and you know I I was a Need to ride on a bus and have someone get sick on the bus. So that, in a lot of ways, shaped my life. Uh, and then there were times I was just, I just, I remember my parents took us, us on this great vacation to a club med in Martinique. And I remember in my hotel room, just sitting there going, I I, 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 I just don't want to go outside. I know they want to go sailing. And I'm uh, like, uh, we were a sailing family, right? So it was, it was just this bizarre acknowledgement on my part at that point that I just, I was just too nervous, but I didn't understand the whole concept that this nervousness that is not specific to one thing, but this blanket nervousness actually had a name and had an illness and had, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately now had treatment. So that was when uh, anxiety Um, kind of first hit me. And then 24 years ago, actually, the year we started off the record, I fell into um, what I did not know was a deep, dark depression. I did not know because I'm sure um, everybody experiences, well, everybody experiences everything differently. But it's something like uh, severe depression manifests itself and arrives in different ways. And for me, Kevin, it was a tiny change that happened to me every day that I didn't know was happening because it was such a tiny change. It's it's like cells down to that level are being replaced every second of your life. Um, but they're so small, you can't feel them being replaced. And those cells depart and other cells come back. And before you know it, you've been totally replaced by someone else and you do not want to be that person. And it was this awakening one day, which was holy smokes what is wrong with me? Why am I such a different person than I was? Why am I looking to isolate myself? Why have I started to say no to things that I would always have said yes on? Why am I going to an airport and sitting in the corner of a departure lounge by myself as opposed to sitting between people and saying, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Where are we going? That kind of thing. And it took me probably six months of uh, of being this different person to be aware of it
0: how are you now? How are
1: you today? Honestly, honestly. Yeah. Hey, first of all, uh, everything that I give you will be honest. Because guys like you and I, unless you have an education I'm, I'm not aware of, it's not like I'm, we're not doctors, right? You know, like, what do you have to bring people? And I, I'm, I'm going to answer that question for you. Uh, you have to bring people personal experience. You are speaking from the inside out, not the outside in. You understand this illness the way people you're talking to understand this illness. And that's hugely powerful, hugely powerful. So how am I today? I am, uh, I, I'm on medication. I've been on medication since my last fall into the deep, dark hole of depression uh, in 2008. I had been on, over the previous 10 years, I'd been on four different meds, went off each time, relapsed each time, went back on. Uh, I went on uh aka Ciprolex, in 2008 with Wellbutrin, And I've been on that same uh, combination of meds uh, since that point and my answer when you say how are you doing uh, i'm doing uh i I'm, do- I'm doing well uh but the bar is not that high right you know i tell people all the time you know when you have an illness like this you got to lower the bar like if you're waiting to say oh my god i feel so amazing today it's a great if that's like what you expect to be then your uh expectations may be unrealistic i live my life between a four and a seven uh you know if it's oh, zero, like that it
0: that's, is- that's interesting that's a good way of putting it it's the meds, right? So yeah.
1: the meds. I, so it, it's like if I could talk to the bottle of medication bottles, uh, I would say, "Okay, meds, I don't like you. You clearly don't, like- don't like me because you have an ability to torture me." But here's the deal: we're going to make if you take out the bottom. So if zero is the worst day of my life, uh, m- mental health wise, where I'm just, i just incapable of, of feeling any joy. I just, I just want it. I just want the data in. Forget about my life, to end. I just want the data in. If you take away the zero, one, two, three, I'll give you the eight, nine, 10. And 10 is not euphoria. 10 is the u- ability to experience euphoria, right? Because no, like, like normal mental health is not feeling amazing all the time, it's being able to feel the circumstances around you, right? Mm-hmm. So I live between a four and a seven, which I can accept because I've lived uh, at a zero for a year and a half. So that's uh, that's kind of where I am right now. I can accept it. Uh, I wish I wasn't on medication. I give up a lot to medication. I dislike medication, but I need the medication. And I've learned to I've learned to love the thing that I hate the least. I hate the medication less than I hate the illness.
0: I, uh, and, and just, and I'm not asking in any way for you to endorse this. So I'm just going to say it separately. I have a, a, a brand new sponsor, uh, in a gene and what they do is, is they will get a DNA sample from you, simple cheek swab, and they tell you what medications you are allergic to, or won't work for you when it comes to mental health. And I'm going to be, we're going to be talking more about that on my show next week, I'm going to be talking to a, to a doctor about, about medication, uh, next week and 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 there,in one of the big problems is is that it seems that the medical community just wants to fight it with medication. Take this, you'll feel better, See you later. And it's not like a headache. It is not like something you you have a lump or something like that. This is something that needs much more than just a pill. The pill is just to stabilize you and and allow you to become the warrior you call yourself a mental health warrior i love that so the medication is to sort of give you some armor and send you out into battle it's not going to win
1: the battle for you you still have a lot of work to do well put for sure i actually did the uh, the swab the dna swab um, because i i was uh had a small sponsorship with uh Uh, a place called Whole Health. So it was a bunch of pharmacies. They kind of banded together to try to compete against the bigger pharmacies like Shoppers Drug Mart. So they had more buying power, and they um, and they, to their credit, wanted to teach their pharmacists how to be more responsive for people with mental health challenges, and and totally responsible on their part because uh, I'm sure doing what you do, you hear from people all the time. They'll go, "Oh my God, my doc put me on an antidepressant, and two days later, I don't feel any better." And it's like, well, didn't your doctor tell you that you know antidepressants take you know two, three, four weeks to work, and it may have to up your dose. No, what do you mean? It was like, okay, well, like, that's unbelievable. You know, like, yeah. that's unbelievable that no one would tell you. So I, I'm a believer in, uh, I, I, as I said to you, I dislike medication. But I'm willing to go with what I dislike because, uh, because it helps me more than it hurts me. It's kind of like, you know, chemotherapy when, you know, you know, God forbid you have this illness that needs this horrendous treatment to, uh, to keep you alive. Do you like chemotherapy? No, of course not. You hate it. But you hate the idea of dying more than you hate the chemotherapy. Do I like the drugs? No. But um, do I like them more than I like, you know, being in my bed, thinking to myself, the only purpose of getting out of bed is to get back in bed tonight? Absolutely. And uh, I tell people, this is like, I think so important is like, people talk about meds. I don't believe in medication. I go, well, you know, if you don't want to believe in God, then don't believe in God. But medication is not something you believe in. You know, if you're sick enough, you got to leave everything on the table. You got to say, oh, look at that. All the medications are there. And oh, there's uh, magnetic, stim- magnetic stimulation. Oh, S ketamine. You know, that, that thing just showed up. Wow. And are those mushrooms over there? Oh my God, is that a holistic treatment? Oh my gosh. You got to leave everything on the table because that's how sick you are when you have that.
0: Sick, not weak. Let's talk about that, that phrase. Let's talk about that website. Uh,
1: Tell me why sick, not not weak. Well, I I mean, uh, I was giving a speech. So, 2009 was uh, when I first started talking about this with no anticipation, as I told you, that I would have any impact. So, I'd like to tell the story by saying, you know, in 2009, I realized there was a world of hurt out there and people were in pain because they felt the stigma of mental illness. And I decided I was going to, you know, help them with it. No, it's just me asking Stefan Richie a question I thought would be interesting to the audience, right? I was interested in his answer. And then by adding uh, a few things, uh, I heard that there is real value. And somewhere around the line, along the line, you would have had a reckoning as well, where you went, wow, I did that? Just by talking about it? So uh, I was giving a speech. Uh, It was at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. And I was giving a speech and uh, it was in a lecture hall so i was at the front and you know this is the med school part and there was these you know stadium seating and uh jammed uh kevin just jammed to the right everybody oh my god everybody in toronto wanted to hear somebody speak about their mental illness so i said you know this would be a better discussion this was early on for me i said this would be a better discussion if If someone would debate with me, like we know that people don't perceive mental illness and physical illness as being, you know, being the same. Uh, We know that's out there and you're not going to offend me. So, like, raise your hand if you think that fundamentally there's a difference between um, something like heart disease and something like depression. I don't mean what causes them. I mean, in in their seriousness and how we look at it. Uh, And one person put up his hand. So I said, oh, thank you. So we started debating back and forth. And uh, he was, he said, look, I just don't think that, um, you know, someone with depression is sick like someone with heart disease. And I said, okay, you know, I'd like to respect that because that's what people think. And we debated back and forth. And at the end, I said, just something to think of that, you know, I'm sick, but I'm not weak. And the way you've expressed mental illness is that it's a weakness. And I'm here to tell you that, that this is not a weakness, that it's not self-inflicted, that it's not something we've allowed to happen to ourselves. And it's not something that we can will away by the strength you imagine you have. I kind of call it the arrogance of the healthy brain, right? Oh, people who've never been through it, some of them would go, oh, you know, I've been through depression just like Kevin but I didn't need to come out and tell the world that I didn't need to leave my job. I didn't need to, uh, um, to go on medication. I don't, I don't know what your history is. I just sucked it up and said, you know what, Jim, I'm referring to myself as Jim. You know what, Jim, it's not going to take us down. We're too strong for that. And that's where I think the stigma is. So sick, not weak.
0: And, uh, I encourage people to check out sick, What are they going to find there?
1: Uh, I think, well, they're going to find a lot of me uh, and they're going to find a lot of uh, they're going to find a lot of different stories. We publish stories uh, every day um, from people either that write for us, meaning, hey, I got a story I'd like to write or um, stories that we steal from uh, other really good websites that have stories that relate to mental health that tell important stories. I do a video blog most days, the Daily Lands blog. What a great title. It's all downhill, by the way, after the title. The title is <laughs> magical. And then it's, yeah, let's watch Michael talk for two, uh, two minutes and less than two minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, and watch for, uh, watch for us uh, on social media. I think that's one of the most powerful places a guy like me can hang out on uh especially Twitter, where you know you can tweet. Like I'll tweet after this. I'll tweet, hey, I was talking to a new buddy, uh Kevin Frankish, and I was gonna say we were comparing you know battles, but he didn't tell me anything about his battle. I'll tell you, uh, but I yeah, I want to hear, but I will I don't but know, keep I don't it know on. how long I don't uh, know hey, how long at, at Hey landsberg by at, the way.
0: Is it at Hey landsberg Have I got it right? It is okay. It so is. Twitter at Hey landsberg and the guy will
1: answer you. He has nothing else to do nothing else he's out do. of work yeah well you know uh, or maybe i'm doing things kevin that go against my non-compete agreement with tsn that mm. i get it on the air i would be in a lot of trouble right now <laughs> maybe tsn you should be looking but is what i'm doing
0: but is a podcast on
1: the air does that that uh, was mm-hmm. disputed the non-compete thing um, which yeah. all broadcasters have you know yeah. non-compete uh uh podcast is not written into uh into they were they were good with me so like i have nothing but complaint complain you know like when otr was canceled in 2016 they could have said okay michael you know you had a great run at tsn you did sports desk you did this you did that i could list all these things for you if you'd like them in the future um but you know like everybody has a a, you know an expiration date Uh, and I I wouldn't have thought oh my god I can't believe they don't give me a chance you know like 25 years that's all I get or whatever it was Uh, but they I think in a lot of ways created this this job for me to uh, host morning radio in Toronto and for that you know I'm very appreciative and like I said they could have just cut me loose and Uh, No one would have said, I can't believe that, you know, that you get rid of Landsberg at this point. So um, good for them.
0: I I have a story similar to yours. It was 2006 on the air. I didn't feel right. Just didn't feel right. And the only thing I thought is I have to go home. I have to get out of here. I don't know what's going to happen to me here on air. So I have to go home. And I did. They they What? I said, "I'm, I'm leaving. I can't stay. What? What? And um, I just left, got in the car, started crying, cried on the way home. I thought it was over. I thought that's it. This is this is the end, my friends. I, I can't go back on air. I know I can't go back on air. I don't even know what's happening to me right now. I've lost it. Um, I, I have to commend Tina Cortez, who was the uh, news director at the time, who called me and had just said, hey, it's OK. Take your time. Let's figure this out. Don't make any rash decisions right now. So yeah, I I finally, it took a while because of that. At 2006, we have advanced so far, by the way, since even 2006 in our understandings and acceptance of mental health. But I finally realized, yeah, this was a panic attack. This whatever we want to call it, an anxiety attack. And so I was diagnosed with a severe depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. And then I, I went back on the air. I said, that's it, getting back on the air. I had no other intention other than to explain to people why their news guy left in the middle of the show yesterday. And so I explained to people, I said, I think I have some sort of depression or some sort of anxiety disorder. And that was it. Okay, and I moved on. That day, about 1500 emails came in over the day to me to the station, all with almost the same kind of message. (gasps) I thought I was the only one with that. I had no idea. I've been keeping it to myself, I didn't want people, to, and if I tell someone they, they just they just can't see it and they, and, and they poo-poo it. And it's then that it hit me, everyone feels alone. This is, is the number one health crisis in the world and everyone feels they're the only ones and they feel alone. And I said, here I have a platform in order to reach out to people who some for decades had been hiding and living with this problem on their own and say no you're not alone and to me i think that is the most important message that people like you and i can get across to people that is you're not alone let's you can you got this but you're not alone do you agree The, the 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 loneliness part of it
1: So much of what you just said, not only is it similar to my own story, yours was first, so you can take credit for it. So if one of us is mimicking the other, it would be me mimicking you. Well, it's funny. I mean, even though you're much older than me. Yeah, you you know what? You're just way ahead of me, though. I mean, like... (laughs) Uh, just the things that you talked about, it was like, wow, you know, you're shocked that there was that and the impact that you had on people just not, not from, not from, uh, and, and the the surprise that what you were doing actually had this like, like real value for people. Like that was, you know, for me, that was exactly the same way. It was like, what? Uh, I was at a restaurant with my wife and her family uh, it, uh, in Yorkville uh, on the night of the Stefan Richet show. And no, I'm sorry, it was the day after. The Stefan Richer Show goes to air, uh, and at 6.30, when the show ends, um, people start to email the show, but I don't see it until the next day. And the next day, my buddy, Chris Hewnick, who's working on the show, and and looks at the emails goes hey you should see these emails and i said like why because you know we got a lot of emails most of them were you sucked Landsberg. if i find out where you live i'm, I'm sorry to have written up.
0: i'm sorry to have written yeah. that to you i i, I just felt not sorry i needed don't you to, i needed you to
1: know that you sucked yeah but don't yeah. be sorry for that i respect <laughs> that so uh he said look at these and was like wow there was 22 of them uh and they were all from uh, 20 of them were from men. And they all essentially said the same thing, that it was the first time in their life they've seen two men talking about mental health challenges without shame and embarrassment. And because of that, all 22 of these people were telling me uh, that um, they had battled as well, but didn't think they could tell anyone. I mean, this one guy said, can you imagine, uh, Michael, I've, uh, I've battled severe depression for 10 years my dad battled severe depression all of his life my dad drank all of his life my dad never smiled once we all knew that he was sick we all knew that he had to try and get help but he said men don't do that so he gave up his life to his illness he didn't kill himself he just lived his life without feeling the joy that he could have felt and he said now i'm my dad and now i'm not going to be my dad because i saw you guys and i went shit those guys don't sound like losers those guys don't sound like oh that's something i would you know i would never want to be heard saying that you know if you say it with strength you empower other people to say it with strength the fear is not so much you know just the illness the fear is the perception of weakness and if you sound weak if we had gone on the air and i'd said you know, uh, Stefan, I don't know why I get like this. It's like, I shouldn't feel this way. And, you know, I, 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 sh- I should be more thankful for what I have. And I, I don't know why I let this happen. That sounds like weakness, right? And no one wants to be perceived as weak. So uh, your story, my story are, uh, are very, very similar. Not surprising because you and I have both learned that, um, you know, presenting yourself in an open and raw way on the air without seeming ashamed or embarrassed uh, and I've seen like your clip from that show. You, you, the last thing you seemed like was weak. And that's that to me, that's the, uh, that's the key ingredient to getting people to address their own issues is to not seem weak because m- many people don't share because they are afraid that someone will look at them and go, oh, what a, what a wuss. Oh man. So yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and you know it it's I have a, a much larger female audience, and my mine, mine skews more more female. Um and they're much easier to talk to. And a lot of times, and, and I talked to many men, mental health care professionals about this, they can't get the men to come in. Their their wives come in, their girlfriends come in, their 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 moms come in and, and talk on their behalf. But we're slowly changing that. we're le- we're letting people know it's it, it's sick, not weak, and you're not alone. So, I like to keep pushing, you're not alone. What's the one phrase that you keep pushing? Do you think? i
1: don't I don't like you're not alone. Okay, tell me what. Yeah. Um, because I think it's uh, when you say you're not alone, you're doing what 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 I do in in you know, and I'll give you three or four other examples, but you you try to find some way to package something that is memorable and easy, and it rolls off the tongue, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you give an hour talk about mental health, no one's going to remember an hour's worth of thing. But if they can walk away with, you know, you're not alone, three or four words, depending on whether you are or you are. We'll talk about that later on in a later edition. Uh, but it's very portable. And it's not that I don't like it, but I think at a certain level, you are alone. Uh, You are not alone in the fact that there are people around you that understand you, that you don't know that they're around you, right? You don't know, as you were making reference to, you don't know that there's all kinds of people in your life that are still in the closet. The closet is dark. You don't know if there's anyone else there. Someone opens the closet a little bit, like you have done speaking about your illness. The closet is open. There's some light. And you look around and you go, wow, you know, there's, uh, hey, there's Steve, you know, lives on my street. And oh my God, my cousin, really? Oh my gosh. So in that regard, yeah, you're not alone. But I think the more powerful thing for me is Mm -hmm. uh, you're understood. That that's where the real sort of you're not alone I think if 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 it sharpens, it comes to you're understood. I mean, you're still fighting this four o'clock in the morning. You're still by yourself, right? You you know, you're lying in your bed and you're having, you know, a panic attack, or you know, the alarm goes off, you haven't really fallen asleep, and you you know you gotta get out of bed because you got a job and you know you gotta go do your job, but you're thinking, Oh God, I just don't I just don't have the strength to fight for the next twelve hours? The only reason why I'm getting out of bed is so it'll be closer to the time I can get back into bed, and um, it helps to know that this is not your laziness, this is not your choice, that somebody understands you. That's kind of the way I look at it. Very similar, but um, so. You're understood. Um, sick, not weak, obviously, uh, all, you know, like uh, the name of our foundation, obviously, is, is a statement as well. You know, I'm sick, not weak. Because uh, I do really believe that the the stigma arises from the, the perception of weakness, right? People don't want to be seen as weak, so they don't want to talk about it. And people see others as weak uh, because they have this illness, and people are afraid for that. Uh, we got proud of the shower. Um, this is uh, on a bad day when you're thinking gosh i'm just having so much trouble getting out of bed and doing anything you got to be proud of yourself when you do something because the you know recovery from severe depression is not an all or not an all or none It's a it's a process, right? And you have to celebrate victories along the way because it encourages you to take the next step and celebrate another victory. So be proud of the shower, even though if you went to work and you said, "Hey, everybody, I'm so proud of the fact that I had a shower," (laughs) they would look at you like, "Who like who would say that?" But you know who would say that is a guy like you or I who would be looking at it and thinking, "Okay, well, this was really hard for me." So they're proud of the shower. Uh, Do you swear on this on this podcast?
0: Uh, no fucking way.
1: Okay. Well put. Um, so I got a thing called fuck the walk. Fuck the the walk is the suggestion that people make to you, Kevin. Um, Hey Kevin, I know you have depression. Are are you, are you getting outside? Are you going for a nice (laughs) walk? You ought to take a nice walk. Which is something that someone who cares about you would say, right? Because they want you to get better. So they're making suggestions. But the walk is a terrible suggestion. And as a result, it represents something many of us hear and all of the other terrible suggestions. So it's like, fuck the walk. And that means, you know, fuck the good dinner we're going to go out for or giving me a gift or sucking it up or making a list of the good things in my life or just feeling happy. You know, all those suggestions you get, fuck them
0: and and i think you bring and this is this is another i guess part of the demographic i'd like to go after and 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 really try and educate and and to, to spread the message and that is people who live with people who live with depression if you follow me there uh, it it yeah. is it is um first of all you're the most important people to a person living with depression but it's easy first of all if, the, if that person becomes abusive, if that person is frustrated, if they have become an addict of some sort, you know, it's very difficult to hang in there and and they can be abusive towards you. And so now, now all of a sudden you're dealing with that. And so I think if we can help people support themselves who live with someone who lives with depression, but at the same time teach them the absolute most important thing you can do is not say go for a walk, not say try these pills, not say, go, go to see this doctor, but simply to listen. And, just, and, and that is all you have to do. You may not think you're doing anything, but you're doing so much more than you know. And so we need to learn simply to listen,
1: not try and fix. Beautifully put. You know, I, I agree with every word of that, including, you know, if you were looking at mental health as a business then, you know, you know where the money is, the money is in the caregivers, right? You know, 90% of the population cares about someone who's struggling with a mental health challenge. 10% of the population, I'm just throwing up these random numbers mm. that we hear all the time, right? But there's way more people who are, who care about someone with a mental illness than there are people with mental illnesses, right? Uh, and it's the only illness that I know of where, you know, we have no correct instincts on how to be a caregiver, right? You know, you go, to the, you go to the hospital and you have an appendectomy and uh, you, you bring this person home because they're your partner. You can look at them and pretty well know, <clears throat> what do I have to do to make them comfortable? What do I have to do to help them heal through this process? But with mental illness, you know, you don't go, oh, you know, Michael's got, you know, had knee surgery. I got to put his leg up on the couch and I got to get him things and he's immobile And now I got to take him to therapy. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's different because, uh, because we don't know, And because there's no easy fix, the best thing you can do, as you said, is listen. And that is going to be inadequate for a lot of people because they want to actively do something. So being a caregiver to someone with a mental health challenge is an incredibly difficult battle. And it ruins relationships, it ruins marriages, it ruins friendships, uh, because it's tough. It's tough to, to really be there for someone. And, uh, you know, I have, uh, as we were talking about before, I have these little sayings that I think kind of summarize an important thought. And that is, this one is, uh, don't give up on a person with a mental illness when they act like a person with a mental illness. <laughs> um, because it's going to happen, right? You know, like, you're going you're gonna to go, oh, God, be, you know, like, why are you being rude to me? Or why, you know, why, why, are, you, why are you ruining our lives together by virtually not wanting to do anything? Right. You know, why, why are you doing that? Well, that person that you're saying that to was doing that because they have this mental illness. One of the symptoms of this mental illness is, is this lethargy that overcomes us, which makes us not the same people that we were.
0: You talked about hospitals. And I always, I always say to people, one of the absolute worst places in the world you can go. If you are having any sort of mental health issue, if you're having some sort of a breakdown or a manic episode, the worst place you can go is a hospital emergency room, because they do exactly what you were talking about. They come in, they clear you for any heart issues or anything that might be happening. Then they put you in a secure room and leave you there. You go to the bottom of the triage list. Once you calm down, you're released. See ya. And, it, it, you know, it, it is just the worst place to go uh there are very few mental health emergencies i know toronto is fortunate to have CAMH, and they have a mental health emergency and they know how to deal with people who, who do that but our hospitals and our medical system for the most part has no idea no concept how to deal with someone who's having any sort of a mental health issue
1: yeah i mean uh, again i i won't try to add anything to what you said because that has been my experience as well. Uh, hearing from people on a daily basis, oh my gosh, what do I do? And I'll say, well, I mean, you don't have a lot of options at this point. You know, I, I don't want you to kill yourself, so that's not an option in my mind. And you know, you have to. Uh, I think you should call 911, and they'll say, okay, well, um, you know, I don't think uh, I don't think they'll do anything. So you call 911, and they come and. You know, hopefully they take you to the hospital. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't. They take you to the hospital. And like you said, you're out a day later um, with uh, an Ativan or a Valium or a Xanax. Uh, I, I don't tend to blame the, the people that would be in that system. I tend to blame no, the
0: system. the system. You know,
1: you got 10 beds and there's 14 people there and the 15th comes in and it's Michael Landsberg and he, he's talking about suicide. You know, you, 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 you got to get rid of five people, right? You know, do yeah. the math.
0: But I've got a gunshot um, victim on its way uh, on his way in and I have three people who I think are having our heart issues and I have like there's the immediacy yes. there so we're not equipped for it you know and and that's it Michael um you know it's it's not true what people say about you you're actually very interesting
1: to talk to uh I don't think anyone said hold on hold on hold on you just upgraded on the insult the insult was never <laughs> you're not interesting to talk to because I'm pretty damn interested you to are. talk to the yes um and uh well you come um, I uh, Yes. Will we'll you be. come back? No. Okay. Good. Yeah, um, yeah. This Thanks is for over loose. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I. As we're going through this, you know, I heard so many things. Well, first of all, I learned some things. Uh, uh, as we can all, those of us who are doing what we're doing, I I don't know if it's mental health advocacy, I don't know if it's, you know, um, captaining the mental health squad, trying to, you know, to implore them to fight harder, whatever it is, Uh, you know, we can all learn things from others because we're all just learning uh, from what we see and what we hear, you know, and that's not like going to medical school, but you know what, going to medical school doesn't give people the knowledge that you and I have. You know, like we bring something unique to the table that your, your average psychiatrist doesn't bring. Well, so it, yes, I come back in a heartbeat. I do it this aft, if you want it.
0: OK, that's good. You're on. Um, yeah. But yeah, oh, wait, it, wait.
1: It, NFL. Oh. I gotta pretend like I still care. About <laughs> the the the
0: solution to mental health has to be a community solution. So doctors and nurses. Yes. Frontline. We need to better educate our our police officers, uh, uh, EMS, and, and and firefighters when when they're arriving on a scene somewhere dealing with someone. We need to we need to have community-based solutions. We need to have business getting involved and corporations getting involved, and we need people like you and me just to help spread the word, so it is a it, more of a community solution than pretty well any other any other medical ailment. And mental health is a medical ailment. Like there's no there's no division between our neck and the rest of our body. Mental health is the same as your as your overall health. So we we shouldn't partition it. What are, what are some final words of advice that you might want to give to someone? There's going there are and you know, you know, there's going to be someone who's quietly listening yeah. and they've had a down day or they've been in a very dark place. Maybe they're, they're in a dark place now,
1: say something to them. And I'm putting you on the spot right
0: now. No, no, no,
1: no, you're not. Oh, you're not. You're not putting me on the spot. Um, It's a matter of like, which of the 40 important messages do I want to talk about? I I would say that uh, the most important thing is self-evaluation and self-awareness that um, you, you need to look at yourself and say, am I okay? Uh, and the, usually the quick answer is, yes, I'm okay. But if you look beyond the surface, ask yourself this question, am I who I was? Do I still experience the things in life that I used to experience in life? Do I when I when I go for something that I refer to as the basic joy test? Like you saw me drinking coffee—that's basic joy for me. My daughter made me this cup of coffee, handed it to me, and I, I felt I felt some joy when I took a sip. Right, you know, I wasn't like, oh my god, I can't stop the show. I'm drinking coffee. Oh, it's just like this little little thing that makes us human, right? And um, when you lose that, you lose almost everything else in your life, including the will to get out of bed, and sometimes the will to live. And you owe it to yourself to answer that question. Am I me? And if the answer is no, then go for help because you owe it to yourself. And because most of the time there's help out there. Not all the time. You know, this is not false hope. Oh, don't worry. You know, like I know you have a cough and you probably have well, It's a bad time for me to be saying that but, because it's ambiguous with COVID. But, you know, if you had this cough and a bit of a fever, you'd go to your doctor two years ago and it might say you have pneumonia and they give you antibiotics and you get better. That's not what this is. It's a process and it can be a really difficult one, but you got to start the process. Ask yourself, am I me?
0: Well said. And if I could offer a great place to start, and this is where I started back in 2006. By the way, mooddisorders.ca. Let's see if we can see there. Uh, mooddisorders.ca. Yeah, well, it's there. Trust me. Mooddisorders.ca. They have a section called Check Up from the Neck Up. It's where I started, it's where I got my first answers and my first direction. There are so many sites uh, from the Canadian Mental Health Association, from CAMH, from there are, are so many sites. There's digital online therapy. More and more things are coming on board. I would suggest sicknotweak.com is another place to go, michaellandsberg.ca, or at HeyLandsberg on Twitter. Thank you so much for this time. Uh, It it has been incredible, Uh, and I thank you for what you do. Uh, You're a trailblazer uh, in this in many ways, and, and I really thank you for the direction you chose to go in with this
1: yeah as do i you and as i would add that um you're welcome for uh for doing this but also you know there's this is as you would say this is what i do right you know this is uh, an hour to talk to someone who's more educated on the topic than uh, than almost anyone that I've talked to, right? I mean, you see the, the beauty of what you and I have, uh, besides the, the fact that the illness sucks so much, is that you know we have spent our lives as broadcasters learning to get information from our heads to our mouths and out. And that's an important dynamic that doesn't exist for a lot of people who, who are not comfortable speaking. Um, so you and I are the chosen two to go forward with this message. You know, it's you, me and Moses. Moses screwed up threw the 10 commandments down couldn't lead the uh, tribe to Israel. So he fucked up. So the question is, will we fuck up with our message? And I'd like to think no, I hope not.
0: Power to you. Good, good mental health to you, Michael.
1: Please consider subscribing to this podcast and also check out the Happy Molecule Extra at the happy there you'll find a link to a video version of this episode be able to join the conversation about mental health learn about our facebook live show and get a preview of upcoming episodes you can email us at the happy molecule at gmail.com i'm aaron davis wishing you good mental health